Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot. Scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Wonderful to have you with us through these trying times. It's going to get better. Um, and uh, one of the reasons it's going to get better is we're going to have a scintillating conversation with Amir uh, Koshniati, who is head of the NFC business at Avery Dennison. Amir, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Happy to be here. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, uh, I, I think it's for anyone that's in the IoT business, they need to know about Avery Dennison. You're huge. You've got huger uh, with the acquisition of SmartTrack. So I'd like to talk about, you know, a general premise for people who uh, need to understand that part of the, the landscape. You've been driving, driving NFC, key part of contactless. I want to talk about that. And then if we have time, let's talk a bit about what uh, Avery Dennison and Williot are doing. You guys are, inv- are an investor in our company. And uh, I, uh, I think it's kind of cool because people might look at Avery Dennison and they'll think of uh, uh, labels, QR codes. Uh, uh, they'll think of uh, UHF, uh, RFID. They'll think about NFC. And then there's suddenly this Bluetooth thing. Isn't that competitive? So. If we have time, let's talk about that. But uh, first off, uh, help us get up to speed on Avery Dennison. People have seen the Avery label, but that's actually not you anymore, is it? So I guess it's a, it's a combination. So I'll, I'll start there and we'll start building the, the storyline from there. I think um, from a, this last, it's been almost you know, 10 months that, that we're, we're, we have the ball rolling here. It's been very exciting. I think as much as COVID has slowed down the economic landscape, we feel like we're, we're running over 100 miles an hour right now with, with the integrations and what we've been able to do as two or massive organizations coming together. When you look at the RFID landscape, we were really number one and number two. And now we're one plus because of, mm-hmm. of the size, uh, the innovation, and then basically the creativity that goes into what we're doing. Um, traditionally, I think Avery has always been very competitive in our in our landscape. Uh, on the UHF side, on the NFC side, I think we've we've had a very strong footprint. So merging the two together, it's given us extra horsepower into every c- client engagement, and all our existing clients now have a much broader portfolio to build from, 
And then we're also seeing that there's now different hooks as we get into new engagements. So they might be interested in UHF, and then we could come in with our NFC and platform capabilities. And very similar on the other side of the fence, if someone's interested in consumer engagement and more building on the contact list POS solutions they have, UHF can come in and then hopefully give them that visibility into their supply chains in a way they've never had. So these two coming together has been really exciting. I think it's kept us busier than ever. Um, and then you build this whole RFID landscape now on top of everything we're able to do from a converting standpoint and with all our labels and those competencies. So it really gives us a good formula for, for success. Well, let's break this down a little bit because you mentioned the word converting and maybe not everyone understands what that, uh, that means. So um, what, what are the, the big businesses within Avery Denison? And I, I mentioned Avery, I, I mean, you used to make the labels that we all bought at Office Depot. And I think you sold the Avery uh, brand is related, but it's, it's really a separate thing as I understand it. What's, what are the, the pillars of Avery Denison now? So, so Avery Denison and that Avery group, to, alluding to your point, that, that has been sold. So we really three main uh, business units. We have our printer solutions group. We have our labels and graphics group. So that's really the converting, the sticker labels, the things you see that could be coupled with RFID. And then we have our RBIS group, which is really a focus on retail. And then we have intelligent labels that sits within that. And within okay. intelligent labels is where you see our RFID tags. Design. Okay. So let's focus on the intelligent labels stuff because printers and all that sort of thing, that's a whole other episode, uh, I think. Um, and just to explain what you don't do, you're not a chip manufacturer, right? You buy chips from companies like Williot and much bigger companies that are traditionally the providers of the, the brain of an NFC or an RFID tag. What, you know, when you buy a wafer, what, what happens next? How does that wafer turn into a tag? Sure, so we have many suppliers out there and some, some from a volume standpoint, they do much bigger business than others. And obviously their capabilities and innovations kind of roll in the same, same line. So they, they provide us with, to your point, the brain of the tag itself. Our differentiator here is the antenna designs. So everything from the design to really the deployment and ultimately the manufacturing of that tag is what we do end to end. So we'll buy that as a bill of material that that chip itself will be delivered in a wafer format. And we have a few variations on the sizes, depending on the supplier. We put them on our machines, whether we have two different uh, methods of basically picking those ICs, we'll attach them within our two methodologies, uh, finish the tag themselves. And then we have basically a roll of tags that we'll be able to deliver to the customer. What we've been able to master um, definitely on the NFC side this last year is the ability to also encode on those same lines and then also have the competency to convert those tags as well for our customers. Um, UHF, this has always been the process, but for NFC, this has been always a finite run and we've always tacked on additional costs to actually bring that tag itself to life associated to the product and then also convert it to put labels and, and different things on top of it. So really proud to say we can now deliver that at massive volumes all within one line, which is very exciting. Just explain this converting word. What does that mean? 
So converting means you have basically an inlay, you'll see an antenna design. Converting means that you can actually take it and have a material placed on and, and printed on top of it. So you may be able to convert in a format of it sitting as a hang tag. So if you walk into a department store, you see brand names, maybe a barcode, something of a similar format. Sometimes they have two, three, four color variations. That's converting being done. So if you take that hang tag, you hold it up to the light, usually you might see the RFID inlay either embedded between two pieces of paper, cardboard, whatever the material is. Uh, that's the ability to do that all within one house versus just producing the inlay itself and then outsourcing it to somebody else to, uh, to, to package into the final product. So the inlay is like the skeleton. Uh, you've got the, the chip from, say, an NXP or an impinge that then gets, gets glued to an antenna that's, uh, I don't know, is it, are they etched, etched uh, aluminum or aluminum, as I would say uh, in my uh, homeland. Um, and it's on some kind of substrate, which paper, plastic. So that's kind of the skeleton. And then this conversion you described is taking that thing, which is, uh, I don't know, it kind of looks uh, similar to, to, to this, only with chips glued on it, and you wrap that up in something that looks fantastic and is appropriate for the brand. My understanding is that you don't do the conversion, for, so your product is in many tags where you don't do the conversion. Is that the case? Yeah, that's correct. So in, in many cases, RFID in general doesn't require line of sight, and that's the beauty of it. So when you do converting, you're actually hiding the tag itself, and you may have an overlay that whether it's branding purposes or second to that, it might be actually a barcode. So it, it works in complementary to, to some systems that aren't retrofitted for RFID infrastructure. So for us, uh, the converting traditionally has been outsourced. So a, a group might come in and they might buy a bulk of tags in the multi-millions. They have many customers under their umbrella. And then those customers, what they'll do, they'll convert it specifically for their use cases whether it's going on a piece of packaging with a sticker on top, whether it's going on a hang tag in a department store, whatever the case may be. But the nice thing is now coming in under the Avery umbrella, we do have the ability to now do it at much higher volumes. But then at the same time, we have an IP now that we brought in from our legacy business from the smart track side that gives us much more variability on the product portfolio and offering, which is very exciting. Yeah, so, so um, tell us a bit about, so you run the, uh, you're like spearheading the NFC uh, business. Um, what's the significance of the encoding? What, what am I encoding on an NFC tag? So tr traditionally, when we were doing encoding, they were finite runs when we were starting our early engagements and the early customers that were coming to us. And encoding is a very, very, fun thing to do from my perspective when you get involved with the brands. Because what you're doing, you're giving that product at the manufacturing level a digital birth certificate. Meaning that if you're designing a ball, you're the Adidas of the world, or you're designing a handbag like the Bulgaris of the world, you're, you're designing that bag, you're manufacturing it, and right at the point of manufacturing, you're giving it basically a heartbeat with an NFC tag. Mm -hmm. so Take that tag and, and traditionally the way we were doing it, these were finite runs, let's say a run of 10,000 at a time. So we weren't really a bottleneck because the volumes were fixed and we would be able to one-to-one -to -one associate all the SKU information to the tag on site. 
basically turn it on, give it a heartbeat, embed that tag into the product, and then that product would go out the door and you had full visibility down the supply chain all the way to the consumer. And then the consumer would have ongoing engagements with it. And then you would be able to understand the consumer's mannerisms, what they've done from a, from a product loyalty standpoint. And then you would be able to start to build more customer lifetime value as a matter of what they were able to do with the engagement of the original product they purchased. What we started to see over the last couple of years was not only was NFC picking up, but the quantities in the original manufacturing runs were getting much larger. So when you were looking at about 10,000 units or 20,000 units, they started to get into the hundreds of thousands. So stopping a production in the hundreds of thousands, let's say even millions, you start to become a bottleneck really quickly in the supply chain when you start having to turn on each product one by one. So we, we figured for us to get creative on the encoding side of things, if we were able to work with suppliers to pre-encode at the wafer level, each one of those chips on the wafer could mm -hmm. have a, basically an existing identity. We didn't know exactly where they would go, but regardless, once we knew where they were gonna go from the cloud, we could then give it its digital identity and redirect whatever the experience was. So it was not only a secure way of doing it, but it was also a more efficient way as the, the volumes increased. So there's an identity that is provisioned onto the chip uh, that's done by one of those big chip manufacturers. Uh, it's a unique ID. Is this a number or is it a URL? What, what does that identity look like? It's basically a, a URL, a very generic URL. And then what we do is when we encrypt that in from the platform, we could redirect that URL to its final destination. And then once you're able to assign that URL to the UID, which is the ID identification number of the tag itself, you're able to assign an experience that will speak between the three and the, the SKU information from the product. And what's get, what gets really interesting is as you move up the capability ladder, you can actually put different slugs in the URL that actually hit a validation service. So you can start working up the capability ladder just from that initial encoded URL that you uh, program in. Now, my understanding was you, SmartTrack before the acquisition had a, a business with a, a cloud platform called Smart Cosmos. Um, and that that's kind of like a serialization platform, something that relates what's on the chip to all of this metadata that can uh, describe all of the product information. That's no longer, that's not part of Avery Den Denison. Is that correct? That's still, is that still called Smart Track or is it uh, called something else? So, the, so the, from a, um, from a tracking of the unique identifiers of the tags, all the way to the experiences, even with the validation service, that stayed outside of the, uh, the acquisition. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it helped us twofold to accelerate what we were doing on the platform side with our third party partners and also in-house to figure out where the suppliers were going with their capabilities so we can align them pretty quick. Um, back in the Smart Cosmos days, we had a, a station, it was called an enablement station. So if you take that same example of the soccer ball or the purse, if it was a finite run of 10,000, this enablement station powered by Smart Cosmos would give you the ability to register the NFC tag, register the barcode, and essentially if there was a QR code, register that, and all in one you had the SKU, the promotion, and then the tag ID all in one. 
basically mm -hmm. embedded and you were off and running. But as we started to get a little more agile and we got over the acquisition hump, we started to understand that not only the suppliers were moving up the capability ladder, but the customer feedback was that they wanted much more scale and at higher throughput. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where we're getting creative on the internal side of things to, uh, to, to build basically the next iteration of this. Okay. So um, the, uh, just to understand this correctly, so there's, there's a few things I want to clarify. One is uh, the mapping that happens between this ID that's at the chip level to uh, something more abstract. Is that still being done with Smart Cosmos or that's being done with something else now? So, so we, uh, so I believe they they still are doing their set of it, but we yeah. uh, we are working very close with our outside partners and internally to do that mapping. So we have a handful of different options when it comes to our customers based on what segment they fall under, and how they want to basically uh, achieve the 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 feature sets that they want. So, for example, if someone's in retail, we have a de facto standard from a platform standpoint and how that redirection works. If they get into CPG, it's much higher volumes and we have a standard behind that as well. So we, what we did since the acquisition turned over, we really started to look at one, the use case and then the market segment that they fell under. And then we just follow that protocol for each one. So does that mean you're working with other software platforms that are not Smart Cosmos as well? Yes. So we, uh, we, since we, we broke away, we, we work with a handful of them. We work with Bluebyte, which uh, Steve, I'm, heard, I'm sure you've heard of, and they've been close to, with us over the years. We work with Citizens Reserve, Suku. So they have a nice blockchain platform, which we did the COVID kits with uh, when this pandemic started. And uh, internally, we're working with our own platform as well, which is really driven uh, by the team here for UID management, and then on top of that, the experiences that, that come into play. And it has robust capabilities out, outside of NFC for, uh, for QR, for UHF as well. And uh, I think we could spend hours just talking about that piece and, and where it's going. Well, let, let's look at some uh, example applications to bring this to life. So you mentioned the COVID kit. I can't let that go without asking more about it. Can you explain a bit about that? Sure. This one was exciting. It actually came to me over, over a weekend, uh, about three weeks into the pandemic, that uh, we might have a chance to start working with COVID kits. And I kind of laughed it off because I, I, not only was it a reactive approach, but it was, what is the timeline? What are the requirements? And over the following couple of weeks, it accelerated pretty quickly. And uh, what it was is they, there was a lot of counterfeit kits out there which meant there was a lot of fake results coming as a result of it and a lot of turmoil. So this organization that came to us, they were working very close with all the COVID kits that were FDA approved. So one thing they wanted to do, they wanted a secure NFC tag to go to all the FDA approved kits. They wanted to establish the process to scale it at a high volume. And then on top of it, since these were FDA approved, it meant that a physician would have to administer the kit to the patient. They would figure out the results. These were rapid results within one hour. They would get, the, get their results back. And then that physician would take the results and then input it into the platform, which meant that we needed HIPAA compliancy as an underlying factor for it. So again, a lot of variables. We were, we were rushing all in one to make this happen. 
And uh, there, was, there was two main objectives here. One was with Citizens Reserve, uh, the platform of Suku, we were able to get the HIPAA compliancy checked off, which was a major step forward. And uh, the biggest hurdle here was for us to get the tags administered and coded in a secure way, and then also figure out how do we add it as a bill of material so that each time that it's manually applied to each one of these kits and then housed behind the shell, that it would be consistent and each physician would know how to administer it. So it took us about one month, uh, but we were up and running and we delivered our first set and uh, the use case was, was a great one. It's fantastic. And how do you get HIPAA compliant? What's involved in doing that? So that, that was kind of out of, our, uh, out of our reach. That was on the platform side. So our, our biggest hurdle here was make sure the tags get delivered, they get encoded, and we are the SI there to embed the tags. On the platform side, they, uh, they, they had a lot of hoops to jump through. So they, uh, they handled that portion. Very cool. And you've, you've mentioned handbags and footballs. So I've got to go back to those and ask you about those. Uh, what, what on earth is the intersection between an NFC tag and a, and a football? Sure. So the beauty of NFC is it, uh, it comes in. And of course, I'm talking about soccer now. So translate between British and American, a soccer ball, I should say. <laughs> I wish I had it within reach. But the way that, um, way that it works is with, with NFC, especially our capabilities, we, they come in many shapes and sizes and form factors. So whether it's on the sustainable side or it's just a generic tag that's going into a product and its, it's durability is really the, the use case behind it. Uh, with the soccer balls, it, it came at a very unique time, right around the World Cup. And we partnered up with Adidas to embed a circus tag, which is one of our circular tags in the smallest form factor, and actually embed it as a bill of material into the soccer ball itself so that you can engage with the ball. It would give you authenticity. It would give you the product ID, and it would actually give you the production date of the ball when it was administered through the manufacturing site down to the month, day, year, and operator of that machine to get everything assembled. And each time you engage with the ball, it tells you the number of times that ball has been physically tapped by a phone. And then on top of it, it recognizes who you are. It can give you cross-marketing. And then it gives you all the data points around the world of everybody else engaging with that Telstar Adidas soccer role. So this, this had two major applications. One was, how do we get a circus NFC tag embedded in a ball so that it's kicked around in adverse environments, hits goalposts, walls, whatever the case may be, and it stays intact and working? And secondly, how do we keep the consumer engaged that they can actually continuously use the ball with the NFC capability and do cross-marketing? So we, uh, it was in the early stages of NFC, so we were still educating people on how to tap. But the unique thing here was, I still have my Telstar ball, I still kick it around, and the NFC tags works great. So we were able to achieve a major milestone there, one on the durability side to understand that it's been now three and a half years or so that the ball, that ball has the tag embedded in and it's still a working product. You can still work into, walk into Adidas retail store and it's still on the shelves. And it, it served as a first step forward, not only from soccer ball standpoints, but also within footwear and what we're doing. So the durability use case was the first of many, but it opened the door to much more, both from the product side and then also what we're able to do with the platform side. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tell me again, how do you stop this thing being destroyed every time it's kicked? That's going to be challenging. So, so we, as, as I kind of went through, we, we have many form factors. So we have standard inlays that we, we kind of discussed on the converting side. So they might have adhesives, which we call wet. We may have dry form factors, which don't actually stick to something, but we can put in a converted piece of paper or a piece of cardboard, kind of like a packet. Um, we have glass tags. And then what we were able to do is come up with a certain form factor of a tag that actually was more durable. So we have two lines. We have one flex, which is short for flexible, and we have one durable, which is short for durable. And what these are made to do is withstand impact, withstand different temperatures, low and high extremes, and also wash cycles. So the, so the flex tag, more than anything, provides that flexibility to actually slightly be bent in the object that it's embedded in without jeopardizing the performance or the quality behind it. And at the same time, it has the ability to be put into washing machines, uh, kicked around in the mud or rain, and it still performs up to par. And so that's, that's how we, uh, we were able to achieve it. Amazing. And, and tell us a bit more about the handbag use case. So the handbag one, more than anything, is, I think, a market that counterfeiters really strive on. And it's not just the authentication, it's the messiness uh, to, to the brand and what it creates over time. And what we were able to do with the handbags is not only embed the tag in a very similar format, so it shows as a proof of authentication, but also if you take it to a department store level, it gives you the ability to purchase it with your phone as well after that first tap. And then once you register your information to your certificate of authenticity tied to that purse, the brand knows who you are because, based on loyalty. And anytime you go close to proximity of the mall, it can give you a trigger to say, we know you're close to the mall, come into the store and we'll give you 40% off for the next hour. So what we're able to do there is we're decreasing the cost of acquisition, increasing the lifetime value of the customer as a result of the data points we have and how they engage with the product. And then secondly, we're able to provide much more on a social level when it comes to social media and engagement. So every time somebody taps, we can register their interactions with that product and then also give them incentives to share it with their community so they can become stakeholders, advocates for the brand, and then all within the platform and that initial tap, start to build an ecosystem around that brand and that product. Did I hear you right saying that you could actually use the NFC tag to purchase the, the bag? 
Absolutely. So we're not in the merchant services world, but what we're able to do is provide a means for any of the platforms to really work on top of our NFC tags. Um, the result of it is our suppliers, they provide us with the highest quality chips that are secure. And with our uniqueness of our designs and our performance of quality, when somebody comes in and they engage with something, whether it's going to their website or a third party website, we're able to securely then transact not only the experience and what they digest from a marketing standpoint, but they can actually click through and then use it as a means of point of sale, which is exciting. And it all, all can start with just one, one tap of your phone. And how does that work? Because this is, I think there's many flavors of NFC. There's the NFC that we're now trained to interact with um, at a point of sale. And that has a protocol where secure credentials are exchanged from, you know, a, a, a secure enclave in your uh, uh, phone to the uh, secure um, point of sale system. But I'm assuming that the NFC that you're talking about here is not the same as that NFC. Is that correct? So, so the, the means of tapping and the mechanics behind it are, are the same. Where we differentiate here between the two is uh, the means of how the conversion happens. Many times when we tap with our product lines, it's for the means of authentication and experience. And since we don't handle the merchant services part, if it is a product that's sitting on a shelf in a designer store or even at a, at a retail store uh, for, for a consumable product, what we're able to do is basically give them the means to, to see the experience itself. And then within that experience, you may have a widget that allows you to pay with your credit card or with Apple Pay or Google Pay, but it's essentially another tap physically with your finger within the platform itself that redirects them to that, to that conversion. Now, a lot of times if, we are, if our services are being used from a tag perspective at a POS station, it works in the same, same manner. We'll provide an encoded tag to them. And then if it, we have one use case with parking meters, for example, a user could walk up and tap that parking meter. They would then be either adjusted over to an app or a direct experience that sits on that parking meters or that vendor's website. And then they would be able to process that transaction through whatever service and protocol they have. But we initiate the experience with our tags. That's where the, the train basically starts in the process. So in the case of the handbag, there's a URL that says, this is the handbag. There's uh, this may be a pointer to a service which you can use to do the purchase. The actual exchange of uh, these um, uh, identity and payment tokens is all done in the cloud. It's not going between your phone and the, and the tag. It's going elsewhere. Whereas when you're in CVS and you're paying with Apple Pay, then NFC is actually the channel for some, uh, something that uh, actually has uh, monetary value, the tokens that uh, are part of the, the, the uh, um, payment mechanism. I don't know whether that made it any clearer or whether you agree with the, the difference between those two things, but that's my understanding at least. That's correct. I mean, a good way of thinking about it from our consumer experience side let's say back to the handbag example, is, is purchasing a good online. You'll go to a website, you'll create a shopping cart, and then you check out through the process. So think of the NFC process very similar to that with, with the tap of a handbag. You'll see the SKU information for that handbag. 
You'll be able to pay for it as if you were within the internet browser. But then the second step, when you register your product to the, to the device ID and your name and all that information, we now know who you are. So every time you engage with that product, there's much direct channels from a CRM standpoint to give you personalized marketing. Amazing. Uh, very good. Well, we've got a lot to cover and I think we're just scra scraping the surface. So let's, let's move on a little bit. And let me just ask you, let's come back to the COVID topic and how is COVID uh, changing contactless? Uh, you gave one example of a very specific application. A any other implications that you have in mind? Yeah, I, I would say as a whole, if we take it up to the, to the highest level as a kind of an umbrella view here, uh, COVID has opened the door for contactless payment more than ever. I think people are apprehensive to touch currency. They're even apprehensive to hand their credit card to someone. And many of the credit card vendors are now coming in and issuing their NFC versions. Uh, many times people don't even know what they are, but then you see those three almost Wi-Fi like symbols on it. And you know that you don't need to insert it as a chip. You don't need to hand it to a server. You can just hover it and you're off and running. So I think in a positive way, it's opened the door for NFC to start accelerating uh, use cases. It starts on the payment side, but I think it evolves very quickly now to the consumer experience side as well. So you have a lot of shelf talkers now when you walk through stores. I've noticed in the gyms, a lot of the machines are now adopting NFC use cases. So instead of having things in a, in a format where you walk up to a machine and you have to try to read the instructions and maybe even flip a sheet to see how to use it, you can tap and all of it becomes digital and it tracks your workout. Um, so it's, it's been exciting from that standpoint that we're not doing too much educating now on technology. We're educating more on the use case of the technology. So our conversations this year have, have morphed. They're all virtual, unfortunately, but at the same time, they've opened the door for us to really start to get creative on how to use it versus uh, specifically what the technology is as a whole. So what are the new opportunities that you see as a result of this change? So we're seeing a lot around consumer packaged goods more than anything. Um, I, I, I can maybe caveat that to say also healthcare is picking up as well. And the different lines of business, but specifically under the NFC umbrella, getting a lot of requests around it. People want to see one, the ability to digest what's within packages that they're getting delivered to their house ahead of time. Uh, many times I've received packages, the name, whatever is torn off. They want the ability to tap, not requiring line of sight, get that information. If they have some discrepancy, they don't want to touch it. They're off and running from a, from a retail standpoint, it, it works in a similar format. Rather than going in, now that retail stores are opening up again, we're getting a lot of requests that they want shelf talkers. They want the ability for people to tap, get the information, get the pricing information, the expirations, if they're in a grocery store. And then once everything is good in their opinion, they pick it up rather than really fiddling with many different things before they put them into baskets. Um, we're starting to see that the evolution is also picking up in a way that if you get into the macro scale, if you tap, the store itself could have designated employees that actually come in. They, they went through the protocol of sanitization and things like that. So when you tap and you check it off, they'll actually do the fulfillment for you. 
And when you get to the checkout counter, everything will be packaged and ready to go. We have the stores down the street that are already starting the process. Uh, for good and bad, they're using QR. So I think we have a really good use case now to get involved from an NFC standpoint, but we're starting to see more and more of this. So it's really starting on the payment terminal front, but a lot of the conversations we're having with the brands that are using our technology and the brands that are interested are taking us down the, the CPG route more than anything. And is it the CPG companies that are doing the investment or the retailers? How, how does that fall out? It's a combination of both. We, we have CPG brands that are, you could almost look at them like converters. So they're working for manufacturing companies and doing the packaging for them. Uh, we're, we're working very close with some of them that have a handful of customers. So they're almost acting as if they're resellers for us. Um, and then we have direct brand relationships as well. So they're doing end to end, whether it's on the consumable side. So it's going on plastic overlays around the product or if it's also that the manufacturer has their own packaging department, and then we, we tag the packaging as well. So we talked a bit about the opportunities, you described some of the use cases, but um, you know, for an entrepreneur who's listening or watching this show, where are the, where are the opportunities for, for new enterprises, new companies, uh, or new projects within it? within existing companies? If you were advising someone where to kind of look out, what, uh, where would you point them? Um, yeah, I actually got this question, Steve, not too long ago. So was, I'm really glad you asked this, but um, I think it really starts with looking at the landscape of technology and where we're at today and, and where the future is going. I think we, we went through the buzz that marketing as a whole was really driven around websites parallax format where the websites were long and people could scroll all day and get their information. And uh, so those days of the websites started to kind of morph into applications. So people started to get really creative around building iPhone, Android type applications, sometimes even both. And I think really the future lies if someone is starting to get involved and they want to have a startup that's kind of agnostic to a lot of these technologies. It's really the on the experience side and what you're able to read on your phone. So it, it evolves more than just a website that becomes mobile friendly, but it's something that becomes agile enough to recognize not only the data points of what people are doing from an analytic perspective, what pages they're landing on and what they're interested in looking at, but also how do you build it on top of some of the technologies we have in place so that you can provide a means for these brands to build from. Many times these brands, their marketing departments are focused on their website, they're focused on SEO, they're focused on product marketing, but they're not focused on how to build on our technology. So as much as they look to adopt, a lot of this work actually gets outsourced. So either we're a consultant, our partners are consultants. So I think there's a huge market for that entrepreneur environment to really get involved because a lot of the big name brands would, uh, would use it. Very good. Well, we need to wrap this up fairly soon, but uh, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, Williot and Avery Dennison. I actually try and avoid talking about Williot. I don't want this to be just a platform for self-promotion, but I think it would be a bit weird if we didn't uh, talk about uh, not the elephant in the room, but the obvious relationship between the two companies. So maybe you can give people just a really high level overview of what that relationship is rather than uh, me doing it. Uh, uh, what, what, what are we doing together? 
Sure. I think um, more than anything, the, the landscape is set there for us to really evolve in a strong way based on where we've been on the consumer experience side with NFC on top of some of the aggregated technology. But our relationship with Williad outside of just being a investor is a really exciting one because we're essentially geared to really become uh, a builder on top of what they're supplying to us from a chipset, but uh, really providing the market with an end-to-end solution from a tax standpoint, in many cases, even building on top of the platform you guys have to, uh, to register the device IDs and then basically embed them into products, packaging, whatever the case is. So uh, I guess in the most summarized way, we are really the, the one that's assembling the tags and bringing it all, all home on top of the chip technology that you provide us. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary. We, uh, we've uh, designed what we do for everything to be on a single chip. So there's, uh, there's no external crystal. There's obviously no printed circuit board. And the, the, the idea is that you put a Bluetooth chip through the same machine that's used to manufacture uh, an NFC or an RFID tag. And uh, with a few nuances, that's what we've achieved. So from Williot's perspective, what better company to work with than the the largest provider of inlays and uh, converted uh, NFC tags in the world. And you have a production capability that can really scale beyond anything that we could do on our own. Uh, you know, there's, you make, I don't know, how many tags do you make? Uh, billions of, uh, of, of tags. And that takes a lot of uh, scale in terms of capital equipment and uh, and also i think your distribution channels you have a lot of companies that are used to taking the uh, the basic uh, uh, um, vanilla um, inlays and tags that you have and uh, and doing all of the integration so i think we get a lot of uh, benefit from that and obviously you have a ton of smart engineers and uh, uh, antenna designers and so forth, uh, and uh, as as our tags get start to get to use, are used uh, in more diverse applications. I think that's uh, that's really key. Well, covered a lot, uh, Amir. Thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed uh, uh, talking with you. Um, all the best. Definitely, great speaking with you, Steve. So before this interview, I obviously you and I have worked together for uh, for a little while now. Um, but it seems like you're pretty busy outside of work. Uh, you're like uh, helping with the uh, Boys and Girls Club. Uh, there's the uh, uh, gentleman of OC. What's tell me a bit about what you do when you're not at Avery Dennison? Sure. Well, I guess first and foremost, I'm a, I was a soccer player for 18 years of my life. So sports, specific to soccer, are kind of near and dear and, and health more than anything. So I love going to the gym. I try to get in at least two hours a day, wherever I can, early mornings, late evenings. So that's kind of been, you know, my, my routine for the last, you know, 30 plus years. And uh, on top of that, we, uh, we have a good group of friends here in Orange County, California. We've stayed close over the years. And we started to see, you know, with all the time we burn watching sports, traveling, whatever the case may be, we could take a little bit of that time and start giving it back to the community. Mm -hmm. We could help 
lot of people and then also educate them kind of around the things that we're passionate about. So about almost three years ago, we, we founded an organization here called Gentlemen of Orange County. And uh, with three of my best friends, we came together and we started to do events at least once a month for the community. So pre-COVID, we were doing a lot around toy drives, food drives, um, and then a lot of education seminars around technology. We had one around the Microsoft Office Suite. So we actually rented the Microsoft location here in Orange County, brought a lot of young kids, educated them on soft skills around Word, Excel, PowerPoint. And uh, we started to pick up more and more traction. And the way that we kind of segmented this organization, we all took basically a, a location within Orange County. So I took, for example, Southern Orange County, anywhere from Corona Del Mar down to San Clemente. I have other buddies that took North with Newport and such and the Irvine territories. And we focused in not only on the territories, but something that we were passionate around. So for me, it was technology and it was around bullying because I had struggles when I was growing up with language and different things. So I, I wanted to just make sure I can, I can have a sweet spot and, and hone in on that. So we, uh, we've had some really good traction. A couple months ago, we had a, a dance uh, for, for basically kids with special needs. We, we brought about 200 plus kids together, fully sponsored, so not a dollar out of our pocket. And we're seeing a big, big impact here. So my hope is that we can not only solidify this and make it a stronger community in Orange County, but then hopefully open up branches for other locations and have hopefully young entrepreneurs and, and professionals come together and, and do the same so that the next generation of, of kids can uh, do the same. And it's just a repeating cycle. Fantastic. It's hard to imagine you being bullied, but you, you uh, the language problems when you were younger or? Yeah, yeah. You know, growing up, I think through middle school, early high school, it, it was tough. You know, I, yeah. I still have my struggles here because I, I speak Farsi and I speak English. So uh -huh. sometimes there's certain words that I stumble on to this day. But, you know, any, anything we can give back and, and educate where kids can kind of have a sweet spot with what we've went through, I think is important. So. That's really inspiring. Fantastic. So um, we normally talk about music. Uh, you spend two hours in the gym. I'm, are you listening to music then? Or uh, uh, what, what, how do you feel about music? Is it important to you? I, I love music. So all, all kinds of genres. I actually just got back from Nashville. So I, it's, it's music city over there. I mean, we, yeah. story, we, were, we were on the airport on the way home and there was a young lady playing the guitar in one of the cafes. And if she was playing anywhere here, she would be the biggest hit. But <laughs> this competition bar music is so high over there. It's unbelievable. So I, I like all, all genres, but um, I think R&B, hip hop kind of is in my soul a little bit more than others. And uh, obviously Michael Jackson is, is really big. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you were to pick three songs, what would be your three? Wow, okay. Uh, Billie Jean, I think. Yes, yeah. Uh, oh, that's tough. It is tough. It's going to be three, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have to stay true to Michael Jackson, so I'll give Michael Jackson bad as well. Okay. Uh, George Michael, Careless Whisper. Oh, yeah. He was an amazing, it's so tragic, his, uh, his death. But, uh, yeah. He was incredibly gifted. I, when I grew up, Wham! were just 
or when I, I left college and Wham were doing their thing. And so that, that soundtrack to me is like becoming an adult, being able to go to nightclubs, all that kind of stuff. A lot of fun times. Very good. Well, thanks, Samir. That's uh, great to, uh, great to uh, have you share a bit about uh, the uh, non-professional side of your life. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.